you to open your Bible this evening to the book of Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, it was two weeks ago that we were finishing the series of the seven letters to the churches in Revelation, but the Lord has really prompted us to go through the book of Revelation, every chapter and every verse from beginning to end on Wednesday nights, to receive a revelation of Jesus. Who's excited to go through the book of Revelation tonight? <laughs> you see, the book and the word revelation means the unveiling. If you like taking notes, know this, that in the next weeks and months ahead, as we go through this book, we are going to give you an outline and information to draw you closer to Christ so that we can continue to be students of his word. But here, the book of Revelation, this word means the unveiling. It gives us the English word here, Revelation, apocalypse. Apocalypse. And this verb simply means, Revelation, to uncover or to reveal or to make something manifest. To uncover, to reveal, or to make it manifest. If you truly study this book, you know that it's not only called Revelation, but it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why is it the revelation of Jesus Christ? Because this entire book is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Now, the Gospels reveal Jesus in his humiliation, in his humanity. You go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that Jesus now is revealed there in his humiliation or in his humanity. But in Revelation now, towards the end of the Bible, it's revealed now, or he is revealed in his exaltation, in his glory. So we're going to see Jesus in his deity, in his glory here in this book. And it's exciting because what happens is that here as we go to Revelation, the Holy Spirit is coming now on the set and he pulls back now the curtain and gives us the privilege of seeing behind the scenes the glorified Christ in heaven as God is revealing his plans and his purposes for his church. There are many things taking place in our world today and and people are discouraged, they're afraid. They, They have anxiety, they don't have peace, but we don't have to be afraid, we don't have to be discouraged because we know how the story ends through the Bible. Jesus is Lord of all, amen, amen. And here, although it does focus on prophetic events that unveil the character and the program of God that were once hidden to us, but now they stand open in this book. They are open. The main idea of this book, notice this, is the glorious victory of Jesus, that Jesus is victorious over all of his enemies, and that in Jesus, we are all overcomers. In Jesus, we are all overcomers. In Jesus, now, we have the victory as well. Now, we mentioned as we were going through the seven churches of Revelation that John, the apostle now in the island of Patmos, is writing this book. But he tells us now through the gospel, through the epistle, 1 John, and then through Revelation, he has three different messages. It is in John 3.16 that the apostle John, the disciple, the beloved, he says this, believe, believe in Jesus. Then in 1 John 5.13, he says, be sure of your faith. 
There's apostasy, there's false teachings. Be sure that you are in the faith. First believe, and then in 1 John, the epistle to the church, he says, be sure. When he writes this book, this final book that we have here in our Bibles tonight, he's not saying believe, he's not saying be sure, he now is saying be ready. Would you say that together? Be ready. Be ready. And yes, this is mainly about the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not only, notice this, about future events. I think sometimes we approach the book of Revelation and we think that it's only about future events. No, it's about the revelation of who Jesus is. And before we learn the prophecy, we must learn the person. Before we learn the prophecy in this book, we have to get to know him, the person of Jesus, the attributes, the character of Christ. Because just imagine, we go to the book of Revelation and we catch everything. We know everything, but we miss Jesus in this book, then we miss Revelation entirely. (laughs) Because the central theme of this book is Jesus. Now I'm gonna give you an outline as to how you see Jesus throughout this entire book from chapters one through three. Chapters 1 through 3 in the book of Revelation, Christ is seen as the exalted priest. Chapters 1 through 3, he's ministering to the churches. Christ, the exalted priest. From chapters 4 and 5 here in this book, Christ is seen in heaven as the glorified Lamb of God. We get an experience of heaven, the throne room of heaven. And we see there Jesus again as the glorified Lamb of God that is reigning on the throne. This is why we have a picture of heaven. From chapter six all the way to chapter 18, we see Christ as the judge in heaven. What is he doing there? He's judging all of the earth. And then from chapters nine all the way to chapter 22, as the book concludes, you see Christ that returns as the conquering king of kings. So what do we see in this book? Christ is the exalted priest. Christ as the glorified Lamb of God. Christ as the judge in heaven of the earth. And Christ as he returns as the conquering king of kings. And then this book finally closes in a climax where we see that the heavenly bridegroom ushers his bride, the church, into that glorious city, the new Jerusalem. Now, I want you to know something as we go into the first chapter, and we're going to look at the first eight verses only tonight, that John here is writing this book to the first century Christians who are experiencing great suffering. It's important to know why he was writing this. He was writing this book to a first century church that was experiencing persecution. He was writing this book to a church that was facing spiritual warfare. And he was giving them the revelation of Jesus Christ in order to bring comfort in a time of need. You see how timely this book was for them to encourage them, to comfort them, to give them hope, to give them expectation in their time of need? So likewise, even for us, as we see the events taking place all around our world, we face the spiritual warfare. Maybe you feel the pressure in this world taking place. The darkness all around us, well, this book is so timely for today because it's here to bring us comfort. You see, Christ has promised them, he had promised us 
as well in his word that he would return. And the encouragement that he gives to these Christians was that he would give them divine protection from the judgment and the wrath of God to come, that he would now preserve them. But how would he preserve the church? By first the church persevering by faith in a life of obedience. What does this book do for us? It provokes our faith and it moves us to obedience. Would you write that down tonight? It provokes our faith and it moves us to obedience. So don't simply be content with walking away every week with interesting information or a timeline to impress people after we study the prophecies of the future here in Revelation of the battle of Gog and Magog and the battle of Armageddon. And go back home and say, you know what, this is my Facebook status now. Look at the interesting facts that I know. Oh, look at the things that I can quote and how I can discern this. No, walk away every single week with a greater trust for him than ever before. Because you know his plan, because you're getting to know him. Because you know that he's Lord of all. You see, we, all, we look at this book sometimes and we, we become intimidated. We say, whoa, the book of Revelation, we read through the entire Bible, but it says, you know, Revelation, I'm not going to read that one because I don't truly understand it and we become intimidated. But I want to encourage you as we go through this book that you would lean in with expectation, that you would just lean in with hope and you would know this book is not about the knowledge. This book is about the application. It's about the application. You see, one of the key verses in this book is found in verse 19 of chapter 1, where it says, write Christ speaking to John, the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things that will take place after this. The book is divided also in three different sections as he sees, number one, the vision of Jesus in chapter 1, and chapter 2 and 3, the church age. And then from chapters 4 to 22, the last days. But what does he say? Write the things that you've seen, John, the things which are taking place and the things that are going to take place after this. Why is it that we ought to know these things in the days that we're living in today? Not for the knowledge, but for the application. We're going to look at two things in eight verses tonight. Number one, the promise. And number two, the proclamation. The promise and the proclamation. Let's pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you because you have brought us here to your house on this Wednesday night. And Lord, there is a special blessing as we study this book. Lord, we, we come, we lean in for that blessing. And Lord, if, if many are discouraged, afraid, if they're anxious because of the times that we're living in, that we would hold on to hope that we would hold on to your promises, to your truth in this book, to know you better, to have a revelation of you, Jesus, so that we would be ready. And it is in Jesus' name we pray, and together we said, amen, amen. So we see here in verse one, the promise now, that we are going to have as we read and study and hear this book. Now it says this, verse one, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must surely take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness 
to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Now here's the special blessing that we have. This is why we are looking forward to this book because there's a blessing. And it says this in verse three, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Now let's all read that out loud tonight, verse three. It says this, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. As you notice here in the first part of verse 1, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Underline that in your Bible that you would understand that the entire book is based off of this line, off of this verse. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God the Father now gave him, gave to Jesus to show his servants the things that must shortly take place. Now, God the Father has given us this revelation in order to show his servants. This is God's revelation to Christ to show us, not to hide it, not that it would be hidden, but that it would be revealed in these prophecies, his plan and his purpose for his church. But it would be given, notice that word, to show his servants. Now, that word there that you see servants is the very familiar word that we know of in Greek, which is the word doulos. God has given us this revelation to his son Jesus that Jesus would pass it on to us, his servants, his doulos. Now, what is a doulos? What is a servant? Is one that would serve his master, serving out of love and serving out of devotion. And the idea here is that this revelation is to his bondservants. Look, look how special is this book for us as his bondservants that we're serving the Lord out of love and out of devotion that Christ has a revelation to give to his bondservants. To this special group, it has been given the privilege. It has been opened the understanding to receive these truths. Now notice this, if you truly are a bondservant of the Lord, in the next weeks, in the next months, as we read this book, you are going to grow closer to him than ever as you study this book. And it's also fair to say that you will see things that others won't because it's intended for you. You're his bondservant. You're serving him out of love and out of devotion. And it says it's given to his bondservant these things that must surely take place. Now there in that word surely, I want you to circle that word in your Bible and write the word quickly or swiftly. This revelation from God the Father has been given to the Son, to his bondservants that they would receive it of the things that would quickly or swiftly take place after this. Now when you read that word and you see the word shortly, you have to know that the idea doesn't mean of an event that's going to happen soon. It doesn't only mean that, but it means that it will happen suddenly. You see that word right there, surely, it's the Greek term entaki. Entaki, what it means is swiftly, or it's the word, or where we get the word tachometer. Tachometer. What is a tachometer? It's a device that measures velocity. Swiftly, entaki, tachometer, something that measures velocity. 
it means that as soon as these events start to take place, they're going to unfold in a very brief period of time. They're going to unfold quickly. So as soon as the events begin, they're going to quickly and swiftly come to their conclusion. It's going to happen very fast. Would you see that as we look at in the Bible now? It's going to happen very fast. They would surely take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. Now here in the verse one, we find a key, a very important key to the entire book that helps us unlock it. It helps us unpack it. It teaches us what to expect. That God has a special message for his bond servants, those that truly seek him out of love and devotion. And that the events are going to happen quickly, that as soon as they begin, they will come to their fulfillment or their conclusion. But it also says here in verse one that he sent and he signified it by his angel to his servant, John. Now, signified here tells us it means to show by signs. So maybe you've already read the book of Revelation and you see the moon, the stars, the bulls, the judgment, and everything has signs included. And it says his messenger, his angel, was going to show by signs this message to his servant, John. Why does he tell us this? Because Christ, is going to use here a lot of symbolic language. You're gonna see a lot of symbolic language. Why does, now God, why did he choose to use symbolic language when he came to this very prophetic book that would speak of end times and give us a revelation of himself? Because it speaks of timelessness. It speaks of eternity, these signs. It comes with very descriptive depth now. They impart values and they provoke and arouse emotion. And during this time, as the Roman government was fiercely persecuting the church, just think about this. They would have this book of Revelation, these prophecies, and they would just have signs. So the Roman government would not know or understand as to what to do with this book. We don't understand what this says. But those, his bondservants, the believers, the persecuted church, the first century Christians would come to this book and draw encouragement in the times that they were living in. Just like us tonight, that we would come to this book and draw encouragement by the timeless truths and signs that God has given us. Now, not only are you going to see signs, but you're going to know that this book is very deeply rooted in the Old Testament. It contains more than 500 references and allusions to the Old Testament from beginning to end. And it says now that God has shown through signs to his servant, John. Now it says that John, in verse 2, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. What did John do? He testified, it says. It says that he gave witness that everything that he saw and everything that he heard, he gave a report to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. It says that John the apostle here took a record. He now wrote those things that he was hearing and seeing from the Lord. He bore witness. He gave witness to the truth. But notice the special blessing that we receive in verse 3. As it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things that are written in it. Here's the blessing. Oftentimes we miss the blessing when we neglect this book. 
I don't know about you, but I'm ready for a blessing in the last days. <laughs> and the blessing is that we are going to study this book. And we're going to find the truth. So notice this. The blessing is in he who reads this book. It has to do with three different things. He who reads this book, and it speaks of reading it out loud in the local assembly or the local church. Blessed is he who reads this book, but also blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy. So not only simply read the words, but also those that are hearing it, there's a special blessing for you. So maybe you tell someone that comes on Sunday or doesn't come to church or a family member, do you want a blessing? Then come to church on Wednesday night because the Bible says that if you hear the words of this prophecy, there's a blessing that is in God's word for you. Blessed is he who now reads, those who hear, but finally, notice this, and he who keeps those things that are written in it. It speaks of reading, hearing, and keeping. This book here, Revelation, gives us things that we need to keep. Do you see it has to do also with your response? It's not simply the prophecy, it's also your response to the prophecy, and keep those things written in it. Why? Because if you understand the book of Revelation, it's going to change the way that you live. (laughs) If we understand this book, if we understand the prophecies, if we understand the urgency, notice that, it's going to change the way you live. It's going to change your perspective. You're going to begin to live for eternity and not for today. For eternity. So where is the blessing as we read this verse? The blessing is in the obedience The blessing is in the application. That that revelation, if applied in our lives, if this book is applied in our lives, it's going to bring revival. How many of you want revival tonight here at church? Amen. If we apply this book in our lives, we'll see revival. The blessing is in knowing the truth and notice this, being ready. Being ready for his soon return. But notice what it says here in verse 3 as we conclude that verse, for the time is near. The time of these prophetic events are near. The imminent return of Christ is near. This book is designed to cultivate a deep urgency in your hearts. If we have become comfortable as a church, if we have become content as a church, if we are become lukewarm as a church, this book should cultivate a true urgency that Jesus is coming again. That we would not be sleeping, that we would not be wasting time, that we would now have a personal awakening in our walk with Jesus. That if we were casual in our Christianity, if we were very soft in our convictions, that we no longer would be. There are too many Christians today living in a world that is very dark with very soft convictions. And you know what happens to that? They become lukewarm believers. I don't really have to go to church. I can do everything from home. I don't really have to fellowship. I don't have to really share my faith or go to prayer. And our convictions become very soft and watered down. So what does this book do for us? It gives us a personal spiritual awakening. Now in Romans chapter 13, verse 12, what did Paul tell the church of Rome? He says, and do this 
knowing the time that now it is high time. <laughs> it's high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed, our final redemption. We are closer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So what does this mean for us as Christians? That we would become serious with God. That we would make things right with God. Why? Because the time is near. Remember those words tonight. The time is near. Are you ready for that time when Jesus would come and rapture his church? Are you ready the, for the time where that trumpet blast would sound in heaven and we would be caught up to be in the air and meet our Savior to be with him forever? Are we looking forward to those things? Does, does heaven really give you an excitement now in life? I heard recently that heaven is not simply a destination. Heaven is a motivation. <laughs> that every single day it should motivate you to obey. Every single day it should motivate you to respond to the calling that God has for you in your life because you're not living for today, you're living for heaven. That's exactly when we come and we worship the Lord. We have to come and worship him because he is worthy of it. Because he deserves all the praise. Just think about it. Oftentimes we don't take worship serious. That is the only thing we are going to do in heaven, just worship. <laughs> he deserves the glory, the praise, the honor. Amen, church. Well, let's give it to him tonight because he deserves it. And what is the proclamation, you would say? Let's look here in verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. These are the seven churches that we saw in chapter 2 and chapter 3. These are the churches that are going through that intense, tremendous persecution that need encouragement. These are the churches that would receive a letter from their own personal messenger or pastor so that that church can examine their own lives to determine the areas that needed correction. Now look forward to those two chapters as you read them again because we have to examine our lives to those areas that we personally need correction. And he's writing these now, this, this, this letter, this, this book of Revelation, and you see here a Trinitarian blessing. What does that mean? That it's a blessing that includes or comes from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A Trinitarian blessing. Now you see here what it says, grace to you and peace from him who is and him who was and him who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn, from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sin in our own blood. Now here this blessing that comes to us with the words grace and peace comes from the Father, from the Spirit, and from the Son. But why is it that he gives us these two words, grace and peace? Because grace, that is God's attitude towards these seven churches. That is where we as a church stand on. How do we stand on these last days? We are standing on grace. <laughs> We're standing on God's grace. 
But he also says peace. Why? Because we have true peace in our relationship knowing that God is in control. We experience the peace of God in the relationship that we have. And he says this, grace and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Now notice here, it speaks of the eternal sovereignty of God's presence. That he is, he was, and he is to come. That God is the Lord of eternity, that he rules from past, from present to future now. That he is sovereign, that he is in control of all things. He has an eternal presence. God the Father, he has no beginning and he has no end. Notice this, as you read this verse and you see the nature described, the attributes and the character of the Father, know this. Anytime that you doubt the things that are taking place in this world, know that God the Father is he who is, who was, and is to come. He is in control. And you may not be able to see it, but he has everything in his hands. And he has his hands on everything. Isn't that amazing to know even tonight that he has everything in his hands and he has his hands on everything. He is... He was, and he is to come. And that's exactly what he's encouraging the church with. God is in control. Do not be afraid. Trust him. Know him. Believe him. Be ready. But then he also says, and from the seven spirits, here in verse four, who are before his throne. The seven spirits. What does it speak of, the seven spirits? He speaks of the spirit of God who is before the throne. But Seven here signifies the fullness or the completeness of his spirit before the throne. From the spirit of God in its fullness. From the spirit of God in his completeness, he's saying grace. He's saying peace. Now you have to remember that that number seven. Because that number is going to come up in the book of Revelation many times. You're going to see the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, the seven stars, the seven lampstands, even in chapter one, it continues to come up and it signifies, it gives us the meaning of fullness or completeness. So from God who is in control, who has everything in his hands and has his hands on everything, who is eternal, from the spirit who is before the throne in his fullness and in his completeness and verse five, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Now, you see the exaltation that he des- how he, on how he describes Jesus. Describes here Jesus with three different ways and forms. He said the faithful witness of these things. He describes Jesus as a prophet who foresees the future prophecies that are going to be described. The faithful witness, Christ who has already seen these things. Christ as the prophet who has foreseen the things that are going to be written in this book. But not only that, it says that he is the firstborn from the dead. Christ as the priest who is preeminent, who is the now highest of those raised from the dead. Now, he was not the first that was raised from the dead in the Bible, but he was the highest. He reserves 
preeminence. Firstborn means, and it gives him, Jesus, a title of honor. So do you see here now how he describes Christ as the faithful witness? We too ought to be faithful witnesses of Jesus. That, that we would be a faithful witness of those things that he tells us, that we would go and share them. That's what it means to be a faithful witness. A witness means that word now, martyr. That we'd be willing to give our lives, that we'd be ready to die for the truth of that which we know in God's word. Christ, the faithful witness, Christ who is the firstborn, the title of honor, the highest now to be raised from the dead as now giving him the form of priest for us. But also you see here Christ, the ruler over the kings of the earth, that he is king over all. He is Lord of all. He is the ruler over the kings of the earth. Now what does he say here as we continue reading verse 5? To him, he's going to give glory to Christ Jesus. To him who loves us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. There is our testimony at the end of verse 5. Glory be to Jesus, he's going to say, because he loves us. And not only does he love us, but he demonstrated his love even while we were still sinners, the Bible says, that he washed us, or that word wash means he loosed us, he rescued us from our sin by his own blood. You see how he describes the ministry of Jesus, that he freed us now, that it's already been accomplished? I love that word and where it says in verse Five, he loved us and washed us. Those are words that are now given in the past tense. He loved you so much. It's an active past tense that he continues to love you. But he washed you. It's been complete. He's already rescued you. He's loosed you now. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, it says, You he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What did Jesus do? He washed us with his blood. And because he washed us with his blood, he has every right to rule our lives because he has he done everything to redeem your life. So when you think, well, I want to do whatever I want. I don't care if we're living in the last days. No, because he loved you and he washed you, now he has every right to rule your life. The Bible says that we are his possession. We are bought at the price of the precious blood of Jesus. We belong to him. We don't belong to ourselves any longer. So why does he describe the Father, the Spirit, and the Son together? Because here the triune God would save them, would keep them as they face the trials of suffering. I want you to know that today. That it is God the Father who is in control, it is the Spirit who comes to comfort. It is the Son who has redeemed us by His blood that comes in the hour of trial, in the hour of tribulation, in the hour of suffering, ready to keep us and to save us from that time. And notice what happens here in verse 6. And has made us, after He washed you, He made something out of you. What did he make us? He made out of us kingdoms, priests. And he made us kings and priests to his God and Father. This is what Christ did as he redeemed us. He made us kings and priests, or a kingdom of priests. What does the Bible say? We are a royal 
priesthood. To him, to God, the Father. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it describes it this way. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a royal priesthood. A holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So what did he make out of us? He made out of us kings and priests so that we would exercise, what would a king do? Exercise authority. And what would a priest do? He would serve and minister to the Father and to the Lord behind the veil. So we, in this world, as he made us kings and priests, we should be exercising spiritual authority as we're serving God in this world today. Do you see the importance of this? This is not simply a title. This is a ministry. This is not simply a title. This is a ministry. You're a king and priest that you ought to be serving him with spiritual authority in this world today. And notice what's beautiful about the priest. He had the right to enter behind the veil into the most holy place, the holies of holies. And now because Christ has redeemed us and washed us by his blood, we have access into that place. It's sad to see how many people, Christians today, they call themselves believers that are committed to Christ, but they live their entire life in the outer courts and they never make it into the most holy place. I want to ask you today, are you living your Christian walk in the holy place or are you still in the outer courts because you have been given your life completely to the Lord? Because here he says he's made you a king and priest so that you would serve him with authority. You can't have authority if you're not living for him. You want to know why the, world, the, the, the church has lost its authority? Because it has become very soft about its convictions. And you know what happens when you become soft about your convictions? You lose the spiritual authority. Where is the spiritual authority in your life that you confront sin? that you can stand bold in the world that we're living in today, that you stand on the grace of God, on the truth of the Bible, that you are not moved, you're steadfast. That you can say it like it is, unafraid of who you're gonna offend. Why? Because as a king with, the spirit, with authority and as a priest, you're serving God in this world. Notice what he says here now. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. To him be the glory be the power to him. This is an affirmation that through God, it will be so. This is why he says amen. That Jesus is to be praised, amen. He has made this out of us. Praise God that he has made this out of us even tonight, a king and priest, because he washed us. And look at the announcement here in verse seven as he continues, behold, this is amazing. <laughs> Pay attention, focus, listen up, learn. This is what the word behold means. If you weren't paying attention, pay attention now. <laughs> behold, what does he say here? He is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Let's try that one more time. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Amen. He is coming with clouds. Now notice what it speaks of this cloud. This is an announcement. The Lord is coming with clouds. The word clouds mean with glory. 
Clouds speak of glory. It speaks of the Shekinah glory of the Father, of God. Shekinah means the glory that would emanate from the presence of God. And it says that he will be witnessed by the entire world. Everyone will see him. What does he refer to when it says he is coming? He refers to the second coming, not the rapture here, but the second coming. And he says in his second coming, his glory is going to be visible to all of the earth. And what is he going to do when he comes? We're going to come with him to rule and reign. And he's going to come to defeat his enemies and to establish his reign on earth. So what does this book teach us? That this book is about victory, that his people are seen as overcomers. Do you remember as we were going through the book of now here, Revelation through the chapter two and three in the seven letters that it said, he who overcomes after every conclusion to every church? Why? Because God's intention for his church, for the believers, for his bond service is that we would become overcomers. Is that you and I would be an overcomer, overcomer of this world an overcomer of sin, an overcomer of the flesh. In chapter two, he says, and he calls us overcomers. In chapter three, he says overcomers. In chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, he calls the church overcomers. Chapter 15, you see again that word overcomers. In chapter 21, you are an overcomer. And he's going to come. A sign will be that everyone will see him being ushered in clouds of glory. Matthew 24, verse 30, Jesus said it himself, then a sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Notice, everyone's going to be mourning when they see him. Why will they mourn? They're going to mourn out of regret that they didn't receive him. And they will see the Son of Man coming with, on clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Not Greg glory. <laughs> and... Here it says, great glory. (laughs) He's going to come, the second coming, and all eyes will see him in his return. In fact, it says in verse 7 also, even, circle that word, even those and they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. Now, why does he say this? Because it says all the nations, Jesus himself prophesied, they're going to mourn. And now here in this revelation, now also John says this again, they're going to mourn, nations will mourn because they rejected Jesus. They're going to see this is Jesus, whom we heard about, who he rejected, whom my wife told me about, my friend told me about, my relative told me about, and I rejected, now I see him. That is Jesus. They're going to recognize him too. Not only will they see him, notice what this beautiful thing is, they will recognize, they will know who that is, that it's Jesus. Because he's coming on clouds with great glory. And it says, even those who opposed him, who instigated his crucifixion, the Jews that that regret him with unbelief, they're going to be in looking at him. It was Zechariah's prophecy in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, that says this, and I will pour on the house of David, the Jews here specifically speaking of, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication, that they will look on me whom they have pierced. Notice, they're going to see who they pierced, who they instigated to be crucified and rejected, and they will look on me, and yes, they will mourn for him. 
as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one who grieves for a firstborn. There's going to be a weeping and a mourning filled with regret. And what does he say? Even so, amen. <laughs> this is amazing. He says, even so, amen. What is he saying here, John? He's saying there's truth, there's faithfulness here. Be it true, that word immense means, let it be or so be it. This is his own response now. Just think about that. When he, he knows Christ is coming on the clouds and every eye will see him and they will mourn that they rejected him. What does John do? He, he now, it provokes a response out of him. This is amazing. Just imagine John there in the island of Patmos and he's seeing and he's hearing all of this and, and, and out, of, out of this revelation that he's beginning to learn, there is a response that is, there's an outburst of even so, amen, let it be so, Jesus, come. Because he's looking forward to the coming. He's looking forward to the coming of the ruling and reigning of Christ. Are you looking forward to it with great expectancy? Are you looking up because your redemption draws near? Oftentimes we become scared. We look to the right, we look to the left, but we never look up. What did Jesus say? When these things begin to happen, look up because your redemption draws near. He's coming. I love what's been said before. The brightness of Christ's advent will reveal the true character of those things which were previously hidden by darkness. What is his advent? What is his coming going to reveal? Those things that were hidden. Philippians chapter two, it says that at, the, that, at that name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and those in heaven and on those on earth and those under the earth, notice that, under the earth, hell is gonna shake at the name of Jesus. And those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Finally, verse eight, it says this. I am, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and is to come, the Almighty. Here he, the Lord speaks to John, and he tells him this, I'm the Alpha, the Omega. These are the first, the last letters of the Greek alphabet. Alpha is the first letter. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. So God here is the beginning. He's describing him as the beginning of all things. He's also describing himself as the end of the, or the consummation of everything. He is the eternal God. The beginning of creation and the end, says the Lord. And this here, this phrase communicates the idea behind that great Old Testament name that we read about in scripture, the triune God, Yahweh. Yahweh. What does Yahweh reflect? It reflects the nature of his unchanging presence, that God doesn't change his presence. And Jesus has the same nature as the Father, as God the Father does. In fact, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it is prophetically expressed, the Alpha and the Omega, or that nature, in this way, where it says, whose going forth are from old and from everlasting. Isn't that amazing? His going forth, Christ's going forth, 
are from old. They're from everlasting. You can't go before that. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it describes our high priest and expresses him this way. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. And this, this message here, Alpha and the Omega, speaks of his omnipresence. That Jesus crosses, the Father crosses, all boundaries, all time, and all space. I'm the Alpha, I'm the Omega, I'm the beginning and the end. So when you're scared, when you're afraid, remember, he's the Alpha, he's the Omega, he's the beginning and the end. He has everything in his hands, and he has his hands on everything. We'll tell him, Lord, give me peace for today and hope for tomorrow. Oftentimes we want, Lord, I, I just, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm filled with uncertainty for tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Well, you don't have to know. You can trust what the Bible says. You can have peace with what the Lord has told you today. You can have hope with what he's already shown you through his prophetic word for tomorrow. But it also says this, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. The Almighty means that he's able to do anything. He's supreme. He exercises sovereign control. He is almighty. He's all-powerful over every person. He's powerful over every object. He's powerful over every event, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. He is the powerful one. So maybe today in these last days, you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this situation. Or how can I have peace when I'm hearing these things taking place from the media? Notice this. Read the book. God's got this. And he has the final word. He is all-powerful. He is to come. Now circle that in your Bible. He is to come. Why? Because the promise of his coming is a motivation to all of us as believers. For consecration is a promise and a motivation for all of us as believers for obedience. He's coming. And when he comes... What do you want him to find you doing? Where do you want to be when Christ raptures his church? Now, I love that parable that Jesus gives in Luke chapter 19, verse 13, where he says that the master called his servants and delivered to them 10 minas and said to them, do business till I come. <laughs> Occupy till I come. Be busy. Don't just be a sitting Christian, a sleeping Christian. Be busy till I come. And don't stop until I come. So what is this book going to do for us as we read it every single week and we understand the truth is going to move us to be busy. Lord, I want to be busy until you come. But first I need to make things right with God so that I can be busy until he comes. So maybe today you're here, you're saying, well, I want to make things right with God. The Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I want to know Him. I want to respond with a life of service, with a ministry, with spiritual authority. I no longer want to have soft convictions. I don't want to compromise any longer because He's coming. <laughs> I want to occupy the right way. If that's you, if you want to occupy, if you're saying, Lord, I want to respond in this way, I want you to just stand on your feet. Because I want to pray for you tonight. You would say, Lord, I want the boldness to live. I want the boldness to live for you because you're coming. You are he who is coming. You are the alpha. You are the omega.